Today, I have my guest, Steve Abma, who's a registered psychotherapist. Hello, Steve. Hello, Janice. And um, today we're going to talk about anxiety. And I have interviewed quite a number of people who have anxiety disorders. And as I talk to people, um, just, you know, my friends and people I meet in the community, anxiety seems to be so widespread. It's quite prevalent. I think they say that over a course of a lifetime, uh, you've got basically a one in two chance of developing some kind of anxiety disorder. Is this something that has increased as we become, it's become a more stressful society and, you know, part of what we talk about all the time is Mm -hmm. being plugged in 24-7 because of phones and computers and tablets and social media and all of the things that people feel necessary to be, you know, doing 24-7. Looking around, it sure seems so. Like, I'm not sure what the stats would be if you were to compare it to 20, you know, 40 years ago. I would think, though, based on how much awareness has increased over the years and how much uh, it's really seen in schools now, you know, at elementary uh, and grade school level and university as well, it just seems way more prevalent. Okay, so let's talk about the symptom of of anxiety because Mm -hmm. uh, adults often don't know what's happening to them. They know that they don't feel right. Um, They know they feel strange, but they they can't identify what that is. Yep. Well, I think when there's anxiety too, the three most common types of anxiety are what's known as generalized anxiety disorder. So that sense all the time of something bad can happen. There's that just constant chronic sense of, you know, I have to watch out. That's more. So you're not focusing on anything in particular. It's not a fear of, you know, going into a large crowd. Right. It's just a sense that something bad's going to happen and that can show up anywhere. And that's called generalized anxiety disorder. Then there's the social anxiety disorder, which is more specific to social situations. And it can be something like fear of being judged, fear of being singled out, uh, fear of embarrassment, that kind of idea. If I'm with people, something bad might happen. I might feel something I don't want to feel. And that can be quite upsetting for for anyone, children especially, but uh, adults as well. And then the third most common type is panic disorder. So the sense of, you know, I'm going to lose control if I go to this certain place. So it isn't specifically about social or any other situation, but I might have a panic attack. So then it becomes this disorder because they become actually afraid or anxious of their anxiety. Now I'm, I'm anxious about having a panic attack and they'll avoid all kinds of places where a panic attack may happen. So it could be a subway, it could be a restaurant, it could be, you know, uh, any sort of a social event where... Again, you might be with people, you just feel horrified if something like that were to happen to you. But it's specifically a fear of having a panic attack. So generalize, okay, so let's look at those three and let's talk about how um, people would identify them and then Mm -hmm. what steps would they take to cope with it. So generalized anxiety disorder sounds like it would be really, really difficult for something to realize. I mean, the thought of being anxious all the time about something and you don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. So to me, I would think that it would be very hard to even understand that you're anxious because you feel like that 24 seven. Right. So it's not situational where you can say, oh, I, I'm feeling something different here. No. It might that, feel actually quite normal for the person. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a horrible situation to be in. So yep. if that's the case, then, um, how does someone identify that and um, what 
you know, what steps would you take as a therapist mm-hmm. to to help someone start to deal with that? And is it different from dealing with other ang- sure. anxiety, panic? Yeah. Well, some of the common symptoms of that generalized anxiety disorder is feeling on edge, kind of restless or tense. You can almost picture like an elastic band that you're holding between your fingers and it's, it's pulled kind of tight and you're feeling that all the time. And you might feel that physically as well. Maybe your shoulders are up or you're getting headaches or your you know, uh, back hurts or so on. But it's that feeling uh, quite tense all the time, on edge, uh, restless, fidgety all the time. Uh, you might be irritable, you know, sort of, uh, again, if you think the elastic band, it doesn't take much to make you kind of snap, you know, so little things really get to you. Uh, you have difficulty sleeping, feels like your mind is going all the time. Um, plus, there's a sense of always being on alert. I always need to watch out what if this happens or what if that happens. So always the mind is just working all the time trying to figure out what I need to do if something goes wrong. It's pretty exhausting. Very exhausting. Yeah, that's why uh, muscle tension and sleeping and your stomach gets involved as well. You might experience some nauseousness. Your chest is tight. It's it's a physical, mental, emotional. It's a holistic kind of experience that generalized anxiety. The body and the mind are on almost like yellow alert or orange alert all the time. Okay, so then social anxiety disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that I don't know how many years ago it was, you know, like three, four or five years ago, I started seeing commercials on TV for social anxiety disorder. And, um, you know, it was a um, pharmaceutical commercial. Mm-hmm. I had, and, and wrongly, um, this idea that somebody was just making this one up. Because mm-hmm. we all get afraid of going out in, in public. Everybody's, you know, has that fear. And if yeah. they say they don't, then, you know, they're just kind of fooling themselves because we all have times where we don't want to go to an event because it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. So now I realize that it is actually um, a specific disorder. Yep. It's actually a thing. Yeah. And it can be quite debilitating for people who, you know, with social anxiety, you basically are afraid of interacting with others. And it, you know, it can be whether it's at work or at home or in public places. I'm just afraid of of what might happen. I might get embarrassed or I might feel foolish. I might say something that I regret later. It's it's quite debilitating. It can really lead people to avoid situations that normally they'd like to do. You know, whether it's let's say if they're if they have a family or friends and people are going out doing something. Some with social anxiety disorder can often develop depression as well because here they are avoiding something to feel safe and yet they're really missing out on these really important, meaningful things as well. So it can be quite debilitating. And it's it's typically, you'll see avoidance, uh, you know, a lot with a lot of anxiety, of course, but with social anxiety disorder, it's really obvious that if someone is avoiding things that normally they'd like to do, um, that that there's, there's a, an anxiety disorder happening. And then both of these can escalate to panic disorder, panic attacks. Could, for sure. I think for a person who has social anxiety disorder and they're being forced to do something where they don't feel safe, you know, like, you know, let's let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, you know, and this person wasn't expecting that. It it can definitely lead to, uh, you know, this sort of fight or flight response kicking in. And if they feel like they can't leave the room or they're going to have to reveal something personal about themselves, they can become very panicky. Chances of it becoming a panic disorder, though, uh, it could 
turn into that as well. But you might just say they may have uh, an experience of having a panic attack. But, but the root of it for a social anxiety disorder would, would still remain. It's a social thing. Right. Okay. So um, I just assumed that that's what, where panic attacks came from, but there's a specific disorder that someone could have that literally um, are panic attacks. So you're not, you're not in an anxious situation that then makes you feel, oh, you know, right. you can't get your breath, your heart rate's up. There's, yeah. there's, there's the something panic- that goes right from zero to panic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the panic disorder is actually a fear of the panic attack itself, as opposed to anything to do with social anxiety disorder or anything. It's just, I don't want to go there or do anything with uh, those people or in that situation in case I have a panic attack. But it may have nothing to do with social anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder at all. It's just, I don't want to have a panic attack. Okay, so that's really interesting to me. It's its own thing. It's Mm -hmm. its own thing. So you literally... Um, it's okay. So, uh, that's interesting. I'm sort of wrapping my, my, my mind around that. Cause I, like I said, I just assumed that it was an escalation of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I should say in a sense, it is in a way, you know, let's say someone has anxiety and they have their first panic attack and maybe that really catches them off guard. Like I've never had that before. A person could then develop a fear of panic attacks, but typically, you know, we'd say that could happen. But you'd probably look at the root and say, well, it's more that it was the situation that led to the panic attack. So they're going to avoid that situation. Like, I'll never go there again because that's where I had my panic attack. But they may go in other places. Right. Um, and, and so what are the, the symptoms of a panic attack that uh, make it uh, different from an anxiety attack? Well, I think those are maybe one and the same, this idea. I mean, an anxiety attack might just be, you know, a sense of doom, a sense of uh, something bad is happening. You know, you feel your heart uh, pounding a little bit in your chest. You feel your breath speeding up. Your muscles are tense. You may start sweating. A panic attack can last up to 10 minutes and beyond. For some people, they last like a long time. But typically, a panic attack is about 10 minutes or so plus. And that's a sense of almost I'm dying. You know, we might say if you wanted to call it an anxiety attack, it's I'm feeling really anxious. But where it moves into a panic attack is I feel like I'm actually dying. Right, because you can't breathe. And Yeah, and then you start getting really panicky. Like, am I dying? Right, and then you become anxious about your anxiety and away you go. So a panic attack feels more like this is the end. I'm dying. Whereas an anxiety, if, if you want to say an anxiety attack, but you might say an anxiety experience or an anxious experience is more I just don't feel very good but I don't have this sense of I'm losing control and I'm, you know, going to pass out and, you know, this could be it. So uh, panic, yeah, panic attack, quite scary. Right. And I know that, um, that uh, some obsessive compulsive disorder as well can result from this, which was also an interesting concept when mm-hmm. I learned, but in, you know, from what you're saying, that loss of control, it makes sense. You do the flip side, more control would help someone feel like, uh, well, like they're not just flying out there and stuff's going to happen. Right. Yeah, I think one element of the, of OCD is a sense of, you know, there there's some kind of order. If I do this compulsive thing, I'm going to be okay. You know, if I put these pens in such a way or if I put my clothing or these tiles or organize things a certain way, if I check my stove a number of times or whatever, then I'll be okay. Nothing bad's going to happen. Right. And I'm not suggesting that that 
OCD, that obsessive compulsive disorder is uh, something that goes hand in hand with a panic attack is just that that behavior mm. can help. Um, because I, I, you know, I know um, people who've had OCD and they're, the panic is sort of, uh, my understanding was that the panic was the result of not being able to do something. So um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I've met a woman who was a nurse and she had OCD and, uh, she actually lost primary care of her son because he was very sick one night with the flu and he was vomiting and she stood at the door of his bedroom and she could not go in and help him. Mm. And, uh, and that was sort of my first experience with OCD and it was, it was, really eye-opening but um anyway i'm moving off of anxiety Mm -hmm. so let's go back to anxiety what are what are some of the things that a person can can do if they you know if they recognize that they have anxiety then they have to recognize that they need to go for or they should go for counseling which is i'm going to think an anxiety ridden Mm -hmm. angst you know of having to actually you know, it's admitting it really, right? It's admitting Mm -hmm. it. And then it's having to go to someone and tell them. Well, for sure. If you think about, for example, social anxiety, if, if one of the roots of that is fear of embarrassment or fear of being judged, you're totally right. Imagine going to a therapist, a total stranger, and you're going to reveal something about yourself that feels embarrassing. And now you're basically putting yourself in the very thing or the very situation that you've been wanting to avoid. So for some people, making that step can be quite uh, difficult. Now, there's various treatments or mm-hmm. ways that um, that therapists work through uh, with a, with a uh, patient, and mm-hmm. one of them is, is acceptance and commitment therapy, and that's mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the therapies that you really really like and use a lot. In anxiety, so I want to I just I want to talk about that a bit, and then I want to talk about cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the other one that people know and hear about a lot, and what the difference is in dealing with an anxiety situation or an anxiety uh, or panic disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my understanding of the difference between cognitive behavior therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy is, um, and even though acceptance and commitment therapy, we should say actually is a it's called the third wave of cognitive therapy so it's actually it comes out of cognitive therapy uh, that tradition it's not that different Um, but where there is a fundamental difference between cognitive behavior therapy and acceptance therapy is uh, cognitive therapy uh, cognitive behavior therapy targets specific thoughts so that's the cognitive part and specific behaviors and says if you change your thoughts and change your behaviors, you'll feel better. We might say in a, in, a, in a nutshell, that's the goal of cognitive therapy. Change what you're thinking, change what you're doing, and a combination of those two will help you feel better. And people might think that that's, you know, uh, well, we'll just change the way you're thinking and mm-hmm. uh, you'll Stop feel better. Stop thinking that thought, yeah, think this thought did, instead. Yeah, yep, yeah. that's silly sure. that you can't go out to, to an event because you think that way. Yeah, just tell yourself everything's going to be okay and get over it. And, right. And I have to say, for some people, that does work. Like, I don't know if you know anyone who has quit a habit like cold turkey, whether it's, you know, smoking or gambling or whatever. They just say, you know, this is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. And they quit. I think for some people, they're able to do that. I'm not thinking that thought anymore. That's ridiculous. From now on, I'm going to tell myself whatever, different thought. And they're able to really do that. 
Oh, right. So I, I, as you know, um, I learned cognitive behavioral therapy and, and I started that in the 90s. So I'm pretty sure that that ACT wasn't around in those days. No, it was just developing, yeah. Well, and cognitive therapy was... Um, was really just coming around as as a, a treatment that people really mm-hmm. started to say, okay, this this can work. And in my experience with um, cognitive therapy, and I have to admit, I I'm not good at at it anymore. I don't use it as much as I should. But my experience was that there was a situation that happened, and it caused me to feel in a certain way. So um, if we if we stick with you know a social situation. Um, I'd say, well, I felt very anxious and, and, uh, and I couldn't go to a birthday party. And that, that happened to me to a family birthday party. Mm-hmm. And then looking at it and saying, okay, so, well, what are the cognitive errors here? Well, you know, that's a, a bit of an overgeneralization that you can never go to a social event. Well, what's the real thought there? Yeah. Um, it might be, gee, you go to parties, family parties all the time and nothing bad has ever happened to you. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to start to think that way. And I, I, I hope I'm making sense with this. Totally, yeah. And, and one of the things that was was hard, and I think it's the same with ACT, is you have to identify that that's even happening to you. So um, you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden you have a massive anxiety attack, and you say, well, I don't know where that came from. I used to call it free-floating anxiety. It just hits you. There's no reason. Yep. And Out I of worked the blue. with mm-hmm. Yeah. And I worked with, with my doctor and he said to me, Well, what were you thinking? Well, I wasn't thinking anything. Well, you must have been thinking something. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure Tell I wasn't thinking. Yeah. And then he would say, Well, let's walk backwards and just like start to think backwards until and identify when exactly did that anxiety start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what were you thinking at that point? Well, sometimes it's just like a fleeting thought that went through your brain really quickly yeah. that triggered the attack. So it was really hard sometimes to uh, to understand and figure out where it was coming from and have any sense that there was something I could do about mm-hmm. it. Well, that is one of the big differences between CBT and ACT. And, and I'm not, uh, like, I like a lot of CBT. In fact, ACT, again, is rooted in it. So there's a lot of CBT, like sort of the more classic CBT that was around for 40 years or so before ACT really came into being. Um, that's still really used in, in ACT. It's not like a brand new thing. and Everyone's going, oh, CBT is so bad. But the big difference between the ACT approach to how you would treat that versus the CBT approach is, you know, your doctor would take you back and say, uh, hey, what were you thinking? Let's say you could remember it, you know, even if it was random. Well, I remember thinking, what if blank happens? And so whoever you're working with says, well, don't think that. That's ridiculous. What are the chances of that happening? Think this instead. So next time you're walking by such and such place, think this. So now you're like, okay, I got it. And you got this plan. You're going to think something. But what Axe says is that's really hard to do to keep your brain from thinking stuff, controlling your brain so that you're thinking the right thoughts, the logical thoughts, the rational thoughts. Because as you really explained well, it comes out of the blue. I don't have any control over what my brain says. And what ACT does is says, instead of trying to control your brain and think the right things, why not allow your brain to do what brains do? And when you have a thought, like what if blank happens, instead plan for what you're going to do next. What will you do when that thought shows up? Rather than trying to extinguish the thought. That's a huge difference. Some people are really good at extinguishing thoughts. That's stupid. I'm never thinking of that again. But most people who I see in my practice say, I've been trying to do that. 
and it's not working. The thought keeps coming. Okay, so let's use a real life example. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, uh, well, I'll use uh, social anxiety because it, it, I think it's easier for people to understand because we all have that to, to some degree. So let's just use the idea of going to uh, a large event where there's going to be several hundred people. And the thought of being um, in the room, and uh, one of the things I used to have was I'm in that room and I can't get out. Right. Because, you know, if I get out- Where are the exit doors? Well, and all 400 people are going to watch me, right? Um, So if you're in that situation, how- how would you apply CBT to that and, and how would it be a different to use mm-hmm. um, ACT? So with CBT, what you might say is, okay, so I'm going to this event with 400 people. Uh, what is a rational thing to think? And so it's again about thinking differently or thinking properly or correctly. Thinking I'm okay, um, I can leave, it's okay if I leave. If people um, judge me, that's okay, I don't mind. Um, I've been here many times before, nothing bad happened. You know, what are the chances of me wanting to leave? Like all this sort of rational reasoning is what you do. And some people might make a list. Okay, here are all the thoughts I'm going to think in case I get anxious. I'll pull out this little cue card and I'll remind myself what's really true, what's rational, what's logical. I'm fine. Uh, I can get up and leave if I need to, Um, nothing bad will happen, all those kinds of thoughts. And you just recite them and you try to really penetrate them into your brain. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And try to push those scary thoughts away. And you would just practice that again and again and again. And uh, for some people, again, that that might work. Other people might say, uh, (laughs) it doesn't work. The thoughts keep coming back. No matter how many times I try to tell myself to think the right thing, it keeps coming back. Uh, but some people were like, yeah, I'm really getting good at that. I go to that event and I keep telling myself, I can do this, I can do this, or other things like that. And it helps them feel better. So and if you were applying the ACT method. Yeah. So instead of trying to say, let's push those thoughts away and think the right thoughts, what you'd say instead is, what kind of thoughts might you have when you're there? And you might list them out and you say, what can you do when you have thought X? That will help you feel like it's okay to have that thought. And there's a whole range of ACT skills that you can use. And the, the idea is, let's get ready for that thought so that that thought isn't a threat. It's not something you have to get rid of. So sometimes mindfulness can be a really useful tool to use. So this awareness that, oh, my brain is telling me, you know, all of these people are looking at you. Oh, yeah, my brain does that. You know, that's, that's kind of normal for me. That's what my brain does. As opposed to going, oh, no, there's that thought. I have to get rid of it. Just being mindful of it is, is a really important skill, being aware that your brain is doing that. That sounds so much more relaxing than the... Oh, I have to get rid of it. I have right. to get rid of it. I will say the I have to get rid of it. It took a lot of practice to figure that out. Years of practice mm-hmm. for me to figure that out. But in the end, it did work. It did work for me. Steve, thanks for coming in. So, yeah, thank you very much for having me today. I really appreciate being here.